A dog barks when his master is attacked. I would be a coward if I saw that God's truth is attacked and yet would remain silent. John Calvin. And don't you ever say I did. This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. <laughs> well, there's probably a, a balance between. I believe you have to know Christ, but God is in hell. He is. And someone knows this for sure. All of mankind is going to end up somewhere in heaven. <laughs> my mission really is to just help people of faith, especially, to re-examine this issue, to realize the church has got things wrong in the past. For those who are God's by faith in his son. <laughs> Corinthians, right? 2 Corinthians 3 7. Victory in the name which is above every name. There's no exception for rape or incest. Uh, it's an extreme law. <laughs> and... Right now, bones, ligaments, tendons, in Jesus' name, get out here right now. <laughs> So put your trust in the sovereign risen king Who doesn't owe you one cotton picking thing And yet he still promises to furnish his disciples But we take what he's created and we turn him into idols I'll never back down, so how can I keep it in? But you'll never see me preaching the sin of TBM Yeah, spirit and truth is worship viewed in this chemistry But, but some are spewing distorted views of the Trinity Hey everybody, welcome to the Master's Dog, episode 35. I am your host, the Evangelical Norm. Um, I've explained it multiple times, but we'll do it again for anybody who's new. The Master's Dog is my podcast where I take anything that uh, challenges the truth or the validity or the orthodoxy of God's word and we respond to it. Started off just dealing with uh, Saints Unscripted and their uh, episodes of Faith and Beliefs where they started with the Mormon Articles of Faith and then have continued on. So I committed to respond to every one of those episodes that they did, which I have, and even at times when I thought it was a pointless endeavor. And then we, I expanded it into just anybody. I've, I've think I've talked about Jory, Micah, I think I've talked about Beth Moore, a few other things on here. So um, any of those, any issue where God's word is attacked, just as the quote says, when God's word is attacked, I will not remain silent. So today we are jumping back into the faith and beliefs responses. We are going to look at, uh, David talked about last week, he talked about Freemasonry 
this week he's going to talk about the changes in the LDS temple, which I brought up in my response last week. So uh, he's going to talk about it, and then you know, we'll do what we do. We'll let him talk, and then we'll pause and uh, chat about it as we need to. So here is David and Faith and Beliefs from Saints Unscripted. Hey guys, so if you're familiar with Latter-day Saint temple practices, you're probably aware that important temple ceremonies like the endowment have undergone various changes throughout the years. Considering our belief that the endowment was received by revelation from God, some people wonder if it's okay that changes have been made. Let's talk about it. Okay, I bring this up every time they do this and I'm going to bring it up again. Those little clips are put in there to make you laugh, to lighten the mood a little bit, and to make you think it's not a really big deal what they are doing. Um, and so it's a it's a tactic. It's a it's an um, I don't want to say a brainwashing tactic, but that's the the closest thing. It's it's kind of a programming tactic. It it programs you to um, to a response. You laugh. So it makes it to where the issue doesn't seem like that big a deal. These guys do it all the time. And so pay attention to when these things pop up because it generally has to deal with some, when it's, they're dealing with something that really is an essential issue uh, and they're trying to take the weight off of it. So the idea that the endowment ceremony should never change in any way because it was revealed by God exhibits a bit of a misunderstanding of what revelation is and how it is received. Isaiah outlined an extremely important principle. The word of the Lord was unto them precept upon precept, line upon line, here a little and there a little. And we see this kind of revelation all over the place in scripture. The Jaredite barges, Peter's revelation about missionary work, Nephi's vision of the tree of life, Joseph Smith received the temple endowment through a... I don't know how that works when he's talking about Peter's. I mean, the other revelations I don't care about because they're false. Um, they never happened. Lehi's vision of the tree of life, the Jaredite barges, none of that is real. But when you're looking at Peter, and I guess it's the progressive revelation, um, could be. But that it, that is different than what you're dealing with with the LDS temple ceremony. And we'll talk about that when we get to it. But um, God's revelation is, is God makes it clear. He does not change. Now, God will, uh, I don't want to sound like I'm backpedaling in any way, but when God sent Jonah to preach to the Ninevites, it was with the condition of repentance so in situations like that, when God says, I'm going to do something if you do not repent, but at other places, when God says, I am doing this, the covenant with Abraham never changed. God didn't come back and go, well, now we're going to make some tweaks in it. He never changed it. The covenant with Christ does not change. We repent of our sins. We put our faith and our trust in him. And Jesus is faithful to take away our sins, to separate our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. The covenant does not change. So now you're dealing with you're dealing with the difference between a revelation and a covenant. God doesn't change his covenant. He doesn't come back and go, well, I'm going to tweak it. That would make God 
a he it would be exhibiting a lack of integrity it would be exhibiting a lack of holiness it would be limit, uh, exhibiting a lack of maybe not so much sovereignty but consistency in who God is he made the statement I do not change God does not change his covenants which is what the endowments are it's different than just a revelation and or a conditional thing or anything like this this was supposed to be the way to uh, to exaltation to godhood was through this ceremony and we'll talk about it again as we get into some of these things and some of the problems but to to equate the two to a progressive revelation of where god is saying okay go and kill and eat you know don't call anything unclean which i have called clean okay so we've we've got a change in the dietary law that's not the same as what the endowments should be representing and because it wouldn't be the same as what the um Again, it would be coming from the fact that Christ fulfilled the law, um, that God would say, you know, don't call anything unclean. But so it's a difference. And I want you to kind of, I hope I made it clear enough to what that is. The progressive revelation of the dietary law is different than a covenant that is being made, which the temple ceremony is a covenant between God and his people. And you'll see if you've, if you've watched the videos of the temple ceremonies or, or been through the ceremony, if you're a former LDS, you know that this is not just a revelation. This is into entering into a covenant which is supposed to uh, end with exaltation to godhood. So, pretty significant. A similar gradual piece-by-piece -piece process. That process implies a progression of changes, adjustments, and modifications. In fact, after the first endowment was administered in May 1842, Joseph told Brigham Young, Brother Brigham, this is not arranged right, but we've done the best we could under the circumstances in which we are placed, and I wish you to take this matter in hand and organize and systematize all these ceremonies. Okay, now see, with this statement compared to, again, when God gave Moses uh, the law and laid out how things were supposed to be done in the temple, sacrifices and so on, that never changed. And it was very, very specific down to the way that the things were in the temple were made. Why is God now just giving like generalities and to the point where Joseph, this is not the way God works. As we look at God through scripture, this is bogus. This, what this does is it, it leans to the inadequacy of Mormon's God, the Mormon God, the inadequacy of, of Joseph Smith as a prophet. Because again, God, we don't see anywhere biblically where God works like this when he's giving ceremonies and rituals that were required in the temple he was very very specific and then yet now he's like oh this is revelation from joseph this is joseph going i'm stealing this crap from masonry from freemasons i'm putting it into this temple ceremony brigham uh you fix it that is exactly what this quote lays out I mean, if anything, what it does is it, it shatters the uh, 
validity of Joseph Smith as a prophet, period. And if it doesn't do that, then it shatters the ability of Elohim, according to Mormonism, to actually be a god. In other words, Joseph knew from the beginning that future changes would need to be made. He knew things weren't exactly as they should be, and that was fine. That's how a restoration works. It takes time, you do your best, and the Lord keeps you pointed in the right direction. Sometimes I think we... Okay, now, I, I, see, this is what makes me mad, because I grew, growing up Mormon, this was never the, the opinion of Mormons growing up. This is the neo-Mormon stuff that has come into, well, it's not all... We were told and we were taught that the restoration happened. It was complete. We were the only true church on the earth. We had all of the truth. We had the fullness of the everlasting gospel. It was contained in the Book of Mormon. Full, words have meaning. You can't go back and start changing the meanings of the words now. This is what we were taught. And now they're, they're coming up with, well, it was a piece by piece and you do as you can. No. That is not what Joseph Smith taught. That is not what the prophets up to, I would have to say, Ezra Taft Benson, because he was, I believe he was a prophet when I left. And maybe it was Hinckley. Maybe Benson. So one of those guys, Hinckley or Benson, was a prophet when I left Mormonism. That was what was taught up to those men. Now that you have these changes, it, again, it... it yanks the, the, the carpet out from underneath the, the Mormon house of cards. It literally just yanks it out. We humans in many ways are like bowling balls, and God sort of acts as the bumpers as we seek to discover his will. Sometimes we wish we could just fly straight down the middle and nail that strike. But in reality, we often follow a jagged path, bouncing back and forth between the bumpers until we finally end up somewhere acceptable to God. Okay, now again, you're, you're, you're taking the, what I would call the sanctification of a person, and you're comparing it to the revealed word of God, or the revealed ceremony that God had. That it's two different things. You do not see anywhere with the covenant of Abraham, with the ceremonies in the temple in the, in the Old Testament, with... Uh, the other any other thing that god did which was ritualistic in its in its fashion you don't see them bouncing back and forth and changing you never see you know you never saw samuel go oh well you know i don't know that moses had this and aaron had this right i think we need to 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 fix this no it did not happen god laid it out very specifically and that was the way it was and there's no, there is zero doubt in, in the fact that God f saw the, uh, the manner in which these things were laid out to be very important to him and very specific. And so he laid it out this way. Again, I'll, I'll beat this horse dead until it's into the ground. But this proves that the God of Mormonism is different than the God of the Bible. Because the God of Mormonism has to consistently change. Because the, it's like telling the lie. 
when you have to, if you don't remember the details, the lie changes over time. Believe me, I know. I was a compulsive liar as a young man. I used to make up all kinds of crazy stories, and then I had to, to stick with them, and I, I, they'd change over time and so on. You know the stories that I've ever told that were true are the ones that never change. And then, you know, and I've had to go back and I had to repent of those. And I'm probably, there are probably some that I don't remember. But again, from personal knowledge and from, from experience of knowing why you have to continually adapt to, because sometimes when you tell a lie, somebody finds out, well, there's, there's something wrong with this fact. Oh, now you got to change it. This is Mormonism. It, all this is, is the, is proof that Mormonism is founded on a lie. And so as time goes on, the church continues to make course corrections as needed. Most past adjustments have been quite minor. There's a lot of instruction that goes on in the endowment, and as the culture of teaching and learning has changed over the decades, changes have been made to reflect that. But there also have been more substantial changes made as we've come to a better understanding of the purpose of the covenants we make there. For example, for a long time, saints would covenant to pray that God would avenge the blood of the prophets. It was added in a time when the saints were heavily persecuted and, frankly, ready to fight back. I think this covenant reminded the saints in a very sacred setting that vengeance belongs only to the Lord. It was ultimately based on Revelation 6. I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? Unfortunately, documentation of early temple ceremonies is scant. Impossible. Perhaps the archives are incomplete. Some people say the oath of vengeance... Didn't notice it? So, we, we, we pull these little things that... You know, I mean, that wasn't really a funny clip, but it, again, it's, it's something to to take you away from the seriousness of the issue and and manipulate it into something that is not so weighty. Yeah, it is important. I mean with everything else that is uh recorded so what's the word I'm looking for precisely in in Mormonism, why would there be a lack of of uh transcripts or manuscripts or, or whatever he said of the the endowments i think there are actually plenty of them i mean it's written down somewhere they had to have something written so they knew what they were doing the scripting and so on of of the the, the play and and so you know those all that stuff has to be written down so it's there again it's just a it's just a dismissal of going well we didn't really have it yet this church has been a historical church in the in the sense that it records everything it's what you have in the journal of discourses that's why there's so much of this stuff i mean if they didn't keep track of this the way that they did so much of this wouldn't even be known and could be easily blown off it's called for the saints themselves to avenge the prophets where is he where is he you got him behind the door which is obviously contrary to everything the gospel is about. But because the ceremony wasn't even written down until 1877, we don't know, but it's certainly possible that the wording of this covenant could have varied at different times, and or there may have been some misunderstanding among the saints. Whatever the case may be, it was not a covenant essential to exaltation and was removed from the ceremony about a hundred years ago. Some 
Okay, so again, we we run into the these issues of why was it not written down till 1877? Everything else God supposedly gave to Joseph Smith um, in the early time was written down. Polygamy that was written down. That was written in Doctrine and Covenants. All these other things were written down. Why was this? Which is so important, you have to go through these endowments in order to receive exaltation as a God. Why would something so important, so covenantal, be neglected? Elements of Freemasonry Joseph adopted for the endowment for various reasons were also dropped as Masonry as a teaching tool ran its course for our membership. For example, the five points of fellowship were removed as well as some symbolic penalties associated with breaking certain temple commitments. The so the, it wasn't a teaching method or whatever he just said. It was the fact that people are coming and going, well, we know masonry and we know your temple ceremony and they're identical. That's why it was removed. Again, all these things are done not based on, on covenantal or anything else. It's based on embarrassment or uh, the, the discovery of the lie. And that's why these things have been removed. The imagery of those penalties was quite graphic compared to the rest of the temple. You were essentially saying, I'd rather die than reveal certain things about the temple. They were basically the equivalent of saying, cross my heart and hope to die. Nobody actually dies for breaking those commitments. But those penalties were removed because they understandably made people uncomfortable and weren't essential. The first presidency... Okay. Now... The penalties and so on, and I almost want to rewind and listen to them again, but it always goofs things up when I try to do that. So they were removed. So we're, we're expected to believe that God is now just removing things because it made people uncomfortable. Oh, and that was the thing. They are far different than saying, cross my heart and hope to die. These were literally things that they were saying, if you reveal the things that are in this ceremony, you will have your throat cut, you will be disemboweled, and they were drawing their fingers across. I mean, this is so much more than cross my heart and hope to die. This was, this was we are making a, a solemn commitment, and he says nobody dies. There are, are and, I, and I have to be, because again, there are documented instances of people who have been killed throughout LDS history, murders that have happened, in the manner of these penalties. And so, it has happened. It may not have happened in recent history or outside of offshoot uh, polygamous groups um, connected to Mormonism in recent history but it has happened these things were carried out and again to think that god would go well they're important enough to have them in here now and then eh, not so much anymore because they make people feel uncomfortable do you not think that the women and so on who, who and and men who felt uh, felt uncomfortable it was okay for the people prior to 1990 and then after that i mean they're all snowflakes and so they can't they can't handle having their feelings hurt so this has to god has to take it out again it doesn't make sense that god would find this important enough to maintain it in the in the temple ceremony for uh, over a hundred years and then remove it later it it just it, it doesn't make sense
he recently reminded us. Details associated with temple work have been adjusted periodically. Prophets have taught that there will be no end to such adjustments as directed by the Lord to his servants. Back in 2014, President Dieter F. Uchtdorf gave us another reminder. Sometimes we think of the restoration of the gospel as something that is complete, already behind us. Joseph Smith translated the Book of Mormon. He received priesthood keys. The church was organized. In reality, the restoration is an ongoing process. We are living in it right now. It includes all that God has revealed, all that He does now reveal, and the many and important things that He will yet reveal. Okay, so now we come back to a question that I always ask. Well, what about things that people have said that God has revealed that you don't accept? What about the book of Jeronek and Matthew Gill and his claim to being a prophet in the UK? These are the, if the restoration is continually going on, why are we not, are we, why are you not accepting these things that other people have presented as revelation? If this is, and again, I come back to the fact that this is not what we were taught when I was in Mormonism up until the age of 19, 1992, 93, when I finally actually left the Mormon church. These were things, the restoration was concrete when I was a Mormon. Now, because of the fact that people are coming in the advent of the internet and people finding this information and going, hey, what about this? Now they have to do this. It is the lie that can, has to continue to evolve as people dis di discover the deception. And this is proof. This is absolute proof. This is not some little, you know, prayer that's said with a baptism. I mean, okay, here, here again, here's a, here's a comparison. And I, I'm pretty sure they still do this. The blessing of the sacrament. Oh God, the eternal father, we ask thee in the name of thy son, Jesus Christ, to bless and sanctify this bread to the souls of all those who partake of it, that they, do, that they may do it in remembrance of the body of thy son. And witness unto thee, O God, the eternal Father, that they do always remember him, that they keep his commandments which he has given them, that they may always have his spirit to be with them, and something else. Now, I goofed it. Now, if I were to have given that prayer in a sacrimony as a 16-year-old priest in, a, in, in the sacrament service and turned and looked at the bishop, he would shake his head no, and he would have to do it again. If You, you can't miss up the words. When I was baptized, I had to be dunked three times. The first time, my foot popped out. Or no, the first time, the guy who baptized me messed up the words. Second time, my foot popped out of the water. Bishop said, no, wasn't right. Third time, had to do it again. Finally, the words were right, and I stayed totally submerged. So my baptism was sufficient. If those things are so important that they have to be word for word exact, why would this change? This is so much more, carries so much more weight in Mormon salvation and exaltation. How is it that this is able to change? And, eh, well, you know, we change willy-nilly and, and periodically it has to change. But yet you cannot pass the bread with one word misspoken in the prayer. Or you cannot usher the, the eight-year-old kid out of the, the tepid water of the baptismal font because one the toe popped out of the water or the words were mixed up think about that let that sit in because this makes no 
sense. Hopefully that answers some of your questions. Make sure to check out the resources in the description and have a great day. All right, so there we go. That's the end. Um, so yeah, hopefully this was helpful to you. I hope, um, again, the intention of this is for my Mormon friend. Examine, examine, examine. Pay attention to what is happening and understand that this is false. And I'm begging you, run. Run from this, this, this deceptive religion that has no power to save. I'm, I, I am convinced that when Matthew wrote chapter 7 and he gave the, 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 the scripture where in verse 21 through 23 where he said that in that day there will be those who come to him and say, I don't know, I'm paraphrasing and I'm messing it up. Um, those who will come to me and say, Lord, Lord, did we not do these things for, in your name? And I will say to them, depart from me, you workers of iniquity. I never knew you. There are going to be people who think they are saved, who are going to approach Jesus on the day of judgment and say, hey, didn't we do this stuff in your name? And he's going to say, I never knew you. Depart from me. And he's going to cast them into hell with the goats. And this is what Mormonism is. I'm, I'm, I'm convinced that Mormonism is leading people to that place to where the only words that they will hear is depart from me, you worker of iniquity. I never knew you. And I'm begging you to run from that. Run from that. Run to the God of the Bible who it does not change, who has said that if you repent and you put your faith in my son based on his works, based on what he did, you will be saved. Run to that God, not to the powerless, ever-changing God, ever-evolving God of Mormonism. And my, evangel my, my evangelical friend, my Christian friend, my brothers, my sisters who, who have a heart to evangelize their, their LDS neighbor, temper your love with zeal or temper your zeal with love. Understand that we, we love these people. We, we aren't just going out to show them how wrong we are. I don't do this just to show them that how big my brain is because it's really not. And um, just how wrong they are. But I do this with the intention of I want them to know the gospel of Jesus Christ. The true God. And so, however, pray to, for God to give you wisdom on how to... Take this knowledge and put it in the arsenal that you use uh, to, and arsenal sounds like not a very loving word, but, but we have an enemy, which is the doctrine of the Church of, of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. And we have a, a person who is deceived by that enemy. And we want to defeat that. We want to use this arsenal to defeat the, the teachings of Mormonism, but to, to draw those uh, who are in, entrenched in the deception to know who Christ is. And all, the only way we can do that is when we preach the gospel at all times. And we have to use words because they are necessary. Until next week, Soli Deo Gloria. Mm -hmm.